0: Destinations Beyond Expectations is powered by Group Experience. Visit groupexperience.com to learn how to build your travel tribe. What is up, students of travel? This is your host, Stevie G, and you are listening to DBE. No matter where you're listening, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any other audio platform, make sure to hit that follow or subscribe button. And if you can, rate and review the show over to the podcast's official website dbetravel.com where you can see a list of all the episodes and view some insightful travel blogs you can keep up with the show on social media too make sure to check out destinations beyond expectations on facebook and instagram scotland is a country with some beautiful landscapes wonderful people and amazing experiences to discover if you've been trying to figure out where to take your next international trip you might want to consider scotland it's a country where english is spoken And as we'll learn today, each season in Scotland has something unique. My guest today is Suzanne Arbuckle, who has the Wonderful Adventures Around Scotland blog. Be sure to check it out. And today we're discussing some things you might want to know about Scotland. Listeners, if you scroll down to the show notes, you can find a link to Suzanne's Scotland travel guide. And I encourage you to follow along with that as you listen to our chat. Okay, let's learn more about Scotland. Here's my interview with Suzanne. Suzanne, welcome to Destinations Beyond Expectations. Thank you so much for joining me today. How's it going?
1: It's going well, thanks so much for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to talking all things Scotland with you today.
0: Yes, it's so great to have you on the show and as you said, we're talking about your home country of Scotland. Uh, Suzanne, can you start things off by telling us a few basic things about Scotland? I'm sure there are listeners out there who want to know a little bit more about where Scotland is on the map, how many people live there, and you know what the landscape is, those kind of things.
1: Yep, sure. So Scotland, if you head eastwards over the Atlantic, um, you'll hit Ireland, and then just east of Ireland, you'll hit Scotland. So we're part of the United Kingdom, um, which is made up of four countries. So that's Northern Ireland, Scotland, England and Wales. And Scotland is situated just above England. It's near the northernmost country of the United Kingdom. Um, there are about 5.5 million people. A lot of people think Scotland, they look at it on a map and they think it's a like really small country. Um, but actually when you get here, you realise it's. a lot of people say it's like a TARDIS. So it looks small on a map, but once you get here, you realise it's actually for some reason it like expands and it's like becomes really huge. And you can't get anywhere quite as quickly as you think you can. Um, We have the Highlands, which are the iconic part of Scotland. So that's the thing that sort of everyone associates with Scotland is the mountains and the glens. And so we have that, but we also have the lowlands um, and they're kind of separated by what's called the Highland Boundary Fault Line. So the highlands to the north, the lowlands to the south. But what surprises a lot of people is not all of the highlands are high, not all of the lowlands are low. So for people coming to Scotland, you could go to lowlands and you could still go and see some mountains and some hills. And equally, you could go to the highlands and you could find big expanses of flatland. So the other thing about Scotland um, is we actually have about 790 islands and there's over 90 of them that are inhabited so scotland has actually got over eleven thousand miles of coastline so quite a lot of scotland is sweeping beaches and um, dramatic cliffs and some of the islands have had uh, been voted as having the most amazing beaches and beautiful beaches in the world so yeah so scotland's really got a bit of everything i would say
0: that's awesome and the blog we're covering today notes that there are pros and cons to visiting scotland either in the summer or the winter, can you tell us a little bit more about some of these pros and cons and what the weather is like in Scotland throughout different times of the year?
1: Okay, so a lot of people, when they think of Scotland, think it rains all the time, and it does rain quite often. So that's certainly true. Um, But we also have long periods of sunshine. Um, July, August are generally the sunniest months or the warmest months. Uh, but warm for Scotland isn't necessarily warm for other people. So for warm for us, we get on average it's 16 to 19 degrees Celsius, which a lot of people won't think is warm at all. Um, If we get anything in the low 20s, we think it's like, yeah, we've really made it, it's like the best summer ever in Scotland. Um, So that's why a lot of people choose to visit in the summer, is because it's obviously warmer weather. But as you can imagine, that makes it the busiest time for tourists. it means all the popular attractions have long queues. You have to book even in, in advance. It's the most expensive time to get accommodation. Uh, popular sites like the Isle of Skye, people often have to book a year in advance to try and get accommodation in the summer. Um, and there's also this thing, which a lot of people haven't heard of, some have, but those that have come across it never want to experience it again, and it's called the Highland Midgie. So it comes out in summer, and it comes out... Primarily the West Coast Highlands, so all the really scenic places that everybody wants to visit. And it's a little biting insect. And if you're around at dusk or dawn or particular types of weather, you'll get swarms millions and millions of Highland Ridge, which can ruin some people's holidays. Um, so summer definitely has some cons. But as you can imagine, all the main attractions are opened. The weather's at its best. You've got long daylight hours, so lots of hours to explore and see. Um, Lots of the outdoor, especially outdoor scenery in Scotland. Um, You've maybe got like 16 hours of daylight in the summer, so it gives you a lot of lot of opportunity to travel and see a lot of the country. If you visit in the winter, you might have six hours of daylight. Um, If you're in the northern part of Scotland. Um, and you might have some adverse weather to deal with but you don't have lots of other tourists you have areas um, that you'll have all to yourself which is like absolutely amazing some of the landscapes do not be fighting like lots and lots of coach loads of tourists to just be stand there and take in an awesome vast landscape and be the only person there is quite amazing we also have lots of winter festivals particularly fire festivals so it's quite a good time to come and see some of the some of the events are on over the winter which are yeah, a kind of guest to cheer everyone up in the dark nights. Um, it's also the cheapest time to visit. You don't really need to plan, like if you were coming in the summer you would really need to plan and book everything in advance. If you're coming in the winter you can be a lot more flexible. Um, you really could turn up in Scotland and make your way around as you please um, and as I said you'll be paying sometimes half Half the price that you'll be paying in the summer. So, yeah, there's definitely pros and cons. My big tip would be to visit what I say is the shoulder season, so spring and autumn. So, it is still a bit quieter, everything's opened. You get not bad weather in spring and autumn in Scotland. um, And it's a kind of mid price time to come. So, if you can, spring and autumn is actually the time I would recommend.
0: Great advice. And it sounds like there's really not a bad time of year to visit Scotland, I would say.
1: No, definitely not. There's something throughout the year. Um, If you're into photography, particularly autumn is lovely in Scotland. um, There's a lot of the the wildlife, like the deer come down off the hills, the russets on the mountains. You've got really gorgeous light. So, yeah, there's something at all times of year.
0: So a lot of the DBE listeners uh, of this podcast, they are American. And here in the U.S., we drive on the right side of the road. But over in Scotland, people actually drive on the left-hand side of the road. In addition to that, I know that when you get into some of the more like rural areas, it's common to be driving on like narrow, one-lane roads where passing can be a little bit tricky, especially for someone who isn't used to driving on those kinds of roads. Uh, Suzanne, if someone is visiting Scotland and rents a car to get around, what can they expect in terms of driving? Okay, so
1: there's... I would say three main types of roads in Scotland so there's motorways which are sort of more similar to American highways um, and they're, they're multi-lane fast like fast speed limits on them and um, there's what we call A-class roads so that's like main roads normally like two-way traffic sometimes two lanes in each direction and then there's as you were talking about single track roads which are often in rural areas and cover quite large parts of Scotland even the main tourist places like the Isle of Skye or the Highlands. It's something you'll frequently come across. So there's basic etiquette and there's also obviously driving codes for these types of roads. Um, They're really, really simple. You you can only travel like down the middle of the road. You have no choice. Every so often you'll see a lay-by at the left or the right-hand side of the road. Often these will have a signpost saying passing place. So if you're travelling forwards and you see a car coming, whichever car is nearest to the passing place is you you would be the person to stop. So if you were nearest to passing place, you stop. If you see they're quite close to the passing place, you just keep moving forwards and they'll pull over. If you're passing place because you're driving the left side of the road, if your passing place is on the left, you would pull into passing place. But if the passing place nearest to you is on the right, you just stay in the middle of the road. And the car coming towards you will pull around you. So it's quite simple. You can't go too far wrong. As long as you pull in and somebody lets the other person by, it's usually <laughs> everybody's quite happy and you just give a cheery little wave. Um, the only time it causes a bit of contention is when, and it does tend to be tourists and it can be tourists, or Scottish tourists are as guilty of this as tourists from abroad, is going at a very slow pace, taking in all the scenery going this is really really nice and there's a build up of cars behind you all desperate to get by and of course they can't overtake you because it's a single track road. So you really need to be aware of that and the correct etiquette would be to pull into the passing place, let the cars behind you overtake and continue on your journey. Um, So apart from that my other tip which a lot of people Finds is a really useful thing people have told me that they do it and that's kind of what made me pass it on to other people was putting a sticker inside their car and um, just to remind them that when they're coming out of a junction just it says like you're driving on the left or left hand side or whatever it is that helps somebody as a little reminder and um, because particularly when you're coming out of a junction a lot of people end up that's just automatic, they start to turn out the junction, they forget, and they start driving down the opposite side of the road. They quickly remember and correct themselves. Um, and they've rarely found just a little post-it note or something in the car that just makes them think, no, I need to stay on the left-hand side. Um, and there's also some good videos. I visit Scotland. The tourism group for Scotland has a video that's worth watching, which is basically all the driving etiquette and highway codes for Scotland. So it's worth worth having a look at that. But what I would also say is um, if people are nervous, you don't need to drive in Scotland. A lot of people feel they're pressured into it because parts of the country are only accessible by car. But equally, you can have just as good a time on public transport if you don't feel confident. So if you don't feel confident, my advice would be just stick to public transport. Don't give yourself that extra stress because you're on holiday. You don't need to be stressed worrying about driving too.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And would you mind maybe telling us a little bit more about public transportation around Scotland? Like, is it by motor coach? Is it by train? Like, what are the different methods of uh, getting around Scotland uh, via public transportation?
1: Okay, so in all all cities will have um, their own bus system. So you'll get around every city by its own bus system. There are long distance coaches. So if you want to go from, say, Glasgow or Edinburgh to the Highlands, then there are companies that run long distance coaches and they'll cover most of Scotland. Um, So two of the main companies are Stagecoach and Citylink. Um, So they are long distance and there's trains, which are another popular option in Scotland. They don't cover all parts of Scotland, um, but they do cover all the main cities. They cover most of the main towns between the cities. And they also head into the West Highlands the North Highlands and the sort of border area of Scotland. Um, so again, the trains and the buses you can do in combination. There are a couple of apps which I usually recommend to people. So Traveling Scotland and Rome to Rio, you can plan a public transport journey from A to B. Um, so you just put in where you're starting, what your destination is, it'll give you the various options. Sometimes it'll be all by bus, partly bus, partly train, um, so you can obviously choose what you'd like to do. Also in Scotland, as I mentioned, there's over 90 inhabited islands, so ferries are a big part of our public transport system. So there are three main ferry companies. Um, so if you're going to any of the islands off the west coast of Scotland, it's a company called Calmac, so they run the ferries to all inhabited, or not all inhabited, but the main inhabited islands. And if you're wanting to go to Orkney or Shetland, um, there's North link ferries and also Pentland ferries that goes to Orkney. So again, um, they quite often link up with trains and with bus services. So you can do a journey straight from a city to an island with a combination of bus, train and ferry at the end.
0: That's great. And you know, one thing I wanted to ask you about too was tipping because in the US tipping is very customary, uh, but in Scotland, it's really not generally expected, right? So Suzanne, can you give us more insight about tipping in Scotland and actually what kind of currency do you guys use in Scotland?
1: It's, yeah, it's one of the biggest questions that gets asked particularly from North American travelers because it is such a part of North American like culture to tip. Um, in Scotland, There's a bit of a myth that um, that you don't tip, but I would say that's not really true. Um, I would say it's appreciated rather than expected. So you don't have to tip. It's more based on the quality of service. So if you think you've had good service um, or excellent service, then most people do tip. Um, Most people in Scotland tip and most tourists would be expected to tip as well if you feel you've had bad service don't feel guilty at all about walking away and um, we're a bit different in uh, the uk and that the wage that hospitality staff get is considered a minimum wage or a living wage depending on um, their employer which is meant to be like a minimum standard that they're able to live on obviously not it's not the best wage in the world so obviously tips are appreciated if they have given you good service Anybody that gives you personal service. So for example, in a restaurant, your server, in a taxi, um, a tour guide, so anything like that would be the kind of things that you would that you would tip for. Uh, generally about 10% is perfectly acceptable. Sometimes it will be added to your bill automatically in likes of a restaurant. So just check first of all you've not had a service bill um, added on to your food bill. If you have, you don't have to tip, it's already included in your receipt. Um, if you've not, then feel free to leave a tip. Um, a lot of tips in Scotland are just left in cash. Um, so more and more companies now are accepting that you can add it on with a card. But historically, um, a lot of companies wouldn't do that and it would only be cash tips. So it's always good to have like, some change or some a couple of pounds um, just on you just to leave as a tip at the end of the night. And in Scotland, we use so the pound sterling which is the same currency like that's used in the whole of the United Kingdom, but each country has its own banks. So, confusingly, we have like Scottish banknotes, English banknotes. In Scotland, we'll accept all pound sterling, so we'll accept currency from English banknotes, banknotes from Northern Ireland. Um, in England, they're not so keen to accept Scottish banknotes, so if you're travelling to England after Scotland then, and it's Scottish banknotes that you have then my tip would be to change them because a lot of places in England aren't so happy to take Scottish banknotes or if you're coming and you're planning to do if you're changing your money before you arrive in the United Kingdom then just ask for English banknotes it'll be much easier and as I said you'll be able to spend them in Scotland no problem.
0: So let's say someone is planning like a week-long trip to Scotland. What are some of the popular touristy things to do or what are some of your recommendations as far as cities to check out or well-known attractions and sites around Scotland?
1: Okay, so most people that come to Scotland, kind of their first trip tends to be Edinburgh, Inverness, Isle of Skye. That's the three sort of things on people's hit lists. It does make them some of the busiest places in Scotland, the most touristy places in Scotland, and that's not everybody's cup of tea. If that's what you want to go and see, then that's the three, that's the three big hitters. I feel like that that most tourists want to come to Scotland for. Um, my recommendation would be, and it's what I specialise in my blog is trying to get people a little bit out of their comfort zone, leave some of the popular places because actually at least 75% of Scotland is worth visiting and has hardly a tourist in sight, whereas 25% has is packed with tourists. Um, so the other 75% is still worth visiting and you'll have it all to yourself. So it's really rewarding if you decide just to veer off that, that tourist route. Um, my recommendation would be one place not to miss is definitely Glencoe. I think it's one of the most special places in Scotland. Um, You can easily visit Glencoats just over two hours or so from Glasgow or Edinburgh, so it's an easy first stop for a lot of people to their first venture into the highlands. Um, As I mentioned, there's over 90 inhabited islands. Some of them are really beautiful. There's much more than the Isle of Skye on the west coast of Scotland and the north coast of Scotland. Um, My second recommendation would be make your way to Oban on the west coast. It's a lovely little town it's called the Gateway to the Isles because the ferry leaves there to many of the west coast islands. Um, as an alternative to Skye, I would recommend the Isle of Mull or if you're a whiskey fan, head to Islay um, or if you really just want a, a, a quieter, more peaceful retreat with a sort of Hebridean feel, then head to Colonsey. Um, it's it's about as far far from that, not far Geographically, but far from the Isle of Skies you can get when it comes to tourists because there really isn't that many tourists there. You'll have vast spaces, lovely beaches to yourself, compared to the Isle of Skye where there's some really packed, packed places. Um, yeah, so, so my general tip would be like include a city, include some of the Highlands, take in an island, and yeah, that if you do a bit of that, you get a little bit of everything of Scotland. <laughs>
0: I love that. So, you know, your Scotland travel guide on your website, adventuresaroundscotland.com, includes ten fun facts about Scotland, and I really enjoyed reading that little blurb. Can you share like one or two of your favorite fun facts from that list?
1: Yeah. So I, I recently left. I I lived in um, Orkney Islands for four years. I've recently left there, and one of my favorite things is that the shortest scheduled commercial flight in the world is between two Orkney Islands, so the islands of Westray and Papa Westray. I've done the flight a couple of times and you're literally just in the air and you're landing again. It's like less than two minutes if the wind's behind you. Um, And you get a little certificate at the end of it, which it's like in the Guinness Book of Records to say you've taken, it's got your name on it, it confirms you've taken the shortest scheduled flight in the world and um, so that's a fun thing to do, a bucket list thing to do, plus the two islands are lovely, so that's a win-win. And I guess the other thing that I quite like, because we're so used to in travel these days, recording all our travel on our cameras, on our digital phones, and downloading it onto social media, and the first coloured image was taken by a Scotsman in, and I'm going to try, 1861, <laughs> and i James Clark Maxwell. So he took the first colored image in the world in 1861. So I quite like that it was a Scots person that kind of got us to where we are today, where we record all our travel memories in color and share them with everyone.
0: Very cool. So we can thank a Scotsman for all of our Instagram and fun travel pictures. I love that.
1: thank them or blame them, depending on
0: Well, listeners can learn much more about Scotland by visiting your Adventures Around Scotland blog. Tell us a little bit more about Adventures Around Scotland. When did you start the blog and what kind of articles or resources can someone find if they visit adventuresaroundscotland.com?
1: Okay, so I started Adventures Around Scotland back in 2014. At that time, it was just a a hobby, I enjoyed travelling around Scotland. I decided to start sharing some of my travel tips with other people. Um, What I found is online, a lot of Scottish travel guides um, were pretty much about the same places, like I said, like Edinburgh and Vanessa Isle of Skye, whereas I was going to lots and lots of wonderful places around the country and I thought, nobody's writing about these places. So I really wanted to start sharing those places with other people. And it kind of grew from there. So I discovered that there's actually a huge interest in Scotland. When I started it off, I was just doing it as a personal sort of hobby, and then all of a sudden I had this audience and this all these people getting in touch, going, "This is amazing! I'm coming to Scotland." I didn't realise all these places existed, and this is so helpful. Um, and yeah, it kind of grew into my full time business. As um, I like to think that I specialise in the places other people don't write about, that's actually getting harder and harder these days because when I started eight years ago, which doesn't seem like a long time, but in the space of social media and blog world, it was like a lifetime ago really. Uh, but now with Instagram and yeah, lots of people starting travel blogs, obviously lots there's lots more locations that used to be what I would consider hidden gems that aren't hidden gems anymore. So I'm constantly trying to find new places, um, give people new itineraries of things, places they hadn't thought of, trying to give people new information. Um, but people just don't know what else, well, what else can, can I do? It's what a lot of people ask me in the beginning. Um, and that's what I've tried to answer with Adventures Around Scotland, is this is what else you can do, this is how you can do it. And if they're still having problems um, or they're still not sure as to how to put together an itinerary, then they can get in touch with me and I'll try and sort of guide them in the right direction as to what would work for what their interests are and their budget and their time and whatever else is affecting their decisions.
0: It is a really wonderful blog. And where can we go to stay connected with Adventures Around Scotland on social media?
1: Okay, so on social media, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at adventure Around Scotland and um, on Twitter at Scott Adventures. So yeah, all the three big channels, I'm on all of them.
0: So Suzanne, I do have one final question for you today. Now on Destinations Beyond Expectations, we, we say it's the podcast designed for students of travel, people who love learning about travel and have taken so much and learned a lot about travel as they've gone. And so I wanna ask you, would you consider yourself to be a student of travel? And if so, maybe share a lesson about travel that you've learned uh, throughout your journeys.
1: Um, yeah, definitely I'm a student of travel. It doesn't matter how much, how much I travel Travel is it? about learning travel. I mean, that is to me the biggest thing about, about going out there is, is meeting people, learning history, learning places, trying different foods. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely a student of travel and the biggest thing I would say I've learned is travel is not about me. It's about the people in the places I visit. I'm not this I would say I've learned, I guess we all egotistically go into a place thinking, oh, this is amazing and we don't and we're a bit blind sometimes to the fact that it's a community or you're going to other someone else's home. And I guess that I've become more aware of that over the years, um, and I'm more mindful now that when I go somewhere, it's I'm not the centre of attention. It's not about what photographs I want to take. It's not about what I want. It's about learning about the people that live in the place that I'm visiting, interacting with them, engaging with them, and learning from them. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess that's the biggest lesson that I've learned is to be less egotistical and more like, I don't know, I don't know the correct term, but yeah, just more of a student of the people that I meet on my travels.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's such a great answer. I mean, it's not always about us. It's about learning about the communities, like you said, and learning about how other people do things. So I think that's a, a really wonderful answer. Uh, Suzanne, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time to let us know about uh, Scotland and and what it's like to visit there. So thank you so much.
1: No, thanks very much, Stevie. Thank you for having me along. It was my pleasure to talk about my favorite subject.
0: A big DBE thank you to Suzanne from the Adventures Around Scotland blog. I thought she gave some great information about Scotland and I loved the fun facts she shared. Listeners, make sure you take a moment to visit adventuresaroundscotland.com where you'll find more wonderful travel blogs about Scotland and discover how Suzanne can help you plan your next Scottish adventure. If you like Destinations Beyond Expectations, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and do me a huge favor, tell a friend about the show. If you want to see me talk about more great destinations, follow a page called Group Travel Odyssey on Facebook, YouTube, or LinkedIn, where every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern, I help host a live stream that focuses on how groups can experience a destination. Again, the page you'll want to follow for that is Group Travel Odyssey. Well, that's all I've got for this week. Have a fabulous rest of your day, and I will talk to you soon.